everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we've operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have the latest in our series on progressive candidates for prosecutor. Julie Gunnigal is running for Maricopa County Attorney. Welcome to our show. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about your background and why you're running for prosecutor. Absolutely. So I was born right here in Maricopa County and I chose this place to raise my family. I've been an attorney for 13 years and part of them working financial crime and public corruption. So you can imagine my surprise when after prosecuting in Chicago, one of the most allegedly corrupt places on earth, when I moved back here um, to Maricopa County and saw the same sorts of grifts, the self-dealing happening openly in our government. And I'm running because I believe that that's really at the heart of so many of the problems that Arizona faces. It's the, the self-dealing and the profiteering um, of, of our criminal justice system that's costing us in public education, it's costing us in public health, it's costing us in infrastructure. And it really is the role of a prosecutor um, to fix some of those issues. So what are the big issues that you're running on? Yes. So Maricopa County is the fifth largest incarcerator in our country, which means that we are really at the heart of, of the incarceration crisis and what we're seeing as on a nationwide trend. I am running on a strong criminal justice platform that includes things like eliminating uh, cash bail, that talks about uh, taking down the average length of stay and doing real sentencing reform in Arizona. We're talking about creating diversion programs that work, that treat addiction like the public health crisis is, rather than an excuse to incarcerate people. We're talking about ending the racial disparities in policing and prosecution in particular. On top of that, um, the, the how we get to all of that is, is really being accountable and transparent. So this office has kind of a storied legacy of not responding to public information requests, of uh, actively trying to obscure what's going going on in that office. So we're hoping to bring a, a new era to this office and really provide that transformative change that we need to see. So tell us a bit more about Maricopa County um, and some of the issues that you find the biggest. Obviously, it's a big incarcerator. What are some of the issues around that? Yeah, when it comes to incarceration, it's really um, some of the profit motives surrounding it. So 
Um, for example, just this last week, it was announced that we'll be closing a publicly run prison and moving um, those who are held there to a private facility. We have pervasive issues when it comes to healthcare within both our prisons and our jails. We also have um, big issues with the way that drugs are handled wholesale in our county. We have some of the toughest sentences and highest mandatory minimums. So when I'm talking to, to voters, um, most people are starting to see the, the big problems. As you probably know, one out of three families will uh, face addiction at some point in their life. And when they see a system that is, that is not only just unjust and committed to incarceration as a solution, um, they really start to understand how the criminal law interacts with their everyday life. And they want change, change that supports people um, getting the help that they need. Um, and change that really ends up costing them a lot less money. So a big statewide issue that we have right now is that today alone, we will spend $550,000 locking away people whose highest offense is a drug-related offense. And in my view, that is largely wasted money, and especially so when you look at the uh, rehabilitation efforts that are happening or aren't happening in our, in our prisons. Only about 2% of our beds are dedicated to real drug treatment. And when you when you add the morality on top of the uh, the economic cost, we're just choosing a system that doesn't make sense. So I know a little bit about Maricopa County uh, for two reasons, and I'll get into the second one uh, shortly. But uh, last year I saw a very interesting presentation by an attorney at Civil Rights Corps. And they talked about uh, the marijuana pretrial diversion plan and the fact that the county attorney, uh, the office, I assume, gets $2 million a year uh, just in fees from uh, the pretrial diversion plan. And then you add in the fact that marijuana uh, is uh, a felony in Arizona, unlike just about anywhere else. And many people have to take the diversion or they end up with uh, a felony program. And uh, the cost of the program is prohibitive, especially for anyone who's on the low income side. So can you talk about this? How familiar are you with this program? Incredibly familiar. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I was the first person in this race to say that we need to stop prosecuting low-level marijuana offenses altogether. So you are right in saying that we are um, the last state to have marijuana as a felony. Everything from residue to a pound of marijuana is a class six felony in Arizona. Now that's tempered a little bit by some voter protected um, uh, initiatives that made it more probationable as an offense. But at the end of the day, what we've been seeing is that about 5,500 people every year in our county are shuffled into this cost prohibitive um, pretrial diversion program. Let's pause for a moment and think about what diversion really looks like for marijuana to begin with. Because if we start with the premise um, that marijuana for many is a medicine, um, what we've actually been seeing is a targeted harassment of those who are seeking marijuana as, as a medicine um, here in Maricopa County. In fact, our previous county attorney, Bill Montgomery, who has been since promoted to the Arizona Supreme Court, um, actively participated in cases where people who were holding medical marijuana cards um, were put behind jail or threatened with extraordinary sentences um, for nothing more than holding their medicine. 
He took a bizarre stance that uh, resins and derivatives were somehow um, different and exempt from what the voters approved in terms of medical marijuana. And it ended up costing our state um, in terms of time and attorney's fees, not to mention the lives and hassle those who were caught up in this, this unjust system. It's one of the reasons why I said as a day one priority, those low-level personal possession cases will no longer be prosecuted by this office. Yeah, and I think the other issue here is that you think of diversion as kind of a progressive reform that you want people <laughs> to get out of the system, and they end up getting trapped in the system because they can't afford to pay for it. Right. We really should conceive of diversion as something that would be an opportunity to better oneself, whether it be through education or through treatment or through therapy. What possible therapy does one get for taking their own medicine and doing it on time? Yeah. It's, it's an incredibly unjust result. Um, so you mentioned the former um, office holder there. Um, is this an open seat now? What does the campaign look like? Right. So um, Bill Montgomery used to hold this job and was promoted, as I said, to the Arizona Supreme Court, despite his disgusting legacy of, of bigotry, in particular against our LGBTQ communities and of unchecked sexual harassment that to this day goes on in that office. As a result, our County Board of Supervisors put in a uh, Republican political appointee um, so, yes, I'm running against an open seat against someone who has shown no real interest in real criminal justice reform. And are there other candidates as well, or is it just the two of you? Um, so um, on the Democratic side, I am a Democrat. We have a contested primary. Um, we've been, you know, an early front runner endorsed by our House Minority Leader um, and a bunch of the different coalitions that we're going to need to win in in November. But yeah, I think a lot of people really realize that there's possibility for change in this position. Um, in 2016, uh, it was very difficult to find anyone who, who would run for this spot, right? They jumped in in April and they ran a fantastic campaign, but it was difficult and we hadn't elected a Democrat in 40 years. So now that there is a primary that is elevating the status of this race and really bringing um, increased attention to it and helping the constituencies in, understand what a prosecutor's office does and how it affects their quality of life in a way that few other offices do, it's a fantastic thing. On the Republican side, I can't speak for them. I know that there is a second person declared in the race, but we have seen positively nothing from him or his campaign. And when's the primary? Uh, August. August. So you still have a few months. <laughs> That's right. It'll go fast. Um, so, and, and, and let people know that might not be familiar. I mean, uh, what cities are in Maricopa County? Oh my goodness. Yeah. So Maricopa County is our fourth largest County in the country. It is the greater Phoenix metro area, uh, hitting all the way as far North as Anthem, um, as far to the West as Buckeye, um, we clear parts of Apache Junction. We are Mesa, Scottsdale, Glendale, Tempe, uh, oh my goodness, uh, so many different, uh, you know, smaller municipalities. But when you think of Maricopa County, you should be thinking of, you know, Phoenix, the, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country. 
And it's kind of strange that you would have such a big metropolitan area and yet a county really known for regressivism. Um, And I'd be remiss if I talked to somebody from Maricopa and not talk about the former sheriff. Right. I mean, we need to talk about Sheriff Joe because his shadow still looms large in the county attorney's office. Um, You know, he really brought about a disgusting legacy of codified racial discrimination in our state. That wasn't just unjust. It didn't just cost taxpayers millions of dollars in attorney's fees and settlements. Um, But it's also a legacy that really makes us a laughing stock that we shouldn't be. Um, I, Phoenix in particular is a vibrant and one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas. We have incredible people, we have incredible resources, and we have incredible technology. I don't want to be associated with, with Sheriff Joe, and I will actively work to end his legacy. I would also be remiss if I didn't note for you, though, however, that uh, my Republican opponent, when kicking off her, her campaign, did so right alongside Jan Brewer, um, person who signed SB 1070, um, and all of, you know, the, her Sheriff Joe friends. And I view that as, you know, a very clear signal as to where this administration um, is going and would continue to go if we don't win in November. And it seems like an interesting time for Arizona in general. It seems like the state is starting to shift and, uh, you know, you're probably right at the cusp of going from kind of red-leaning state to a blue-leaning state. Would you agree with that? No. You know what? I wouldn't. Uh, Arizona is a blue state filled with people who sometimes vote. And it is our mission to reach those would-be voters and make sure that they are engaged and activated and uh, ready to get to the polls in November. Fair enough. Um, So I want to talk uh, more about some of the specific things that you might do if you get elected. Um, So, um, you know, we talk about mass incarceration. You already mentioned, uh, you know, Maricopa is one of the big incarcerators. What does decarceration look like in Arizona? Sure. So I am someone who believes in evidence based practice and policy. I don't think you can achieve anything without being transparent about your goals and transparent as to how you're keeping track of whether or not you achieve them. We have set the specific decarceration goal of bringing Arizona back in line with the national average when it comes to incarceration. What that looks like on a practical level is a 26% reduction um, in, in new admissions and um, cutting the length of stay for those who are currently incarcerated. It means that we're going to be taking a tough look at ha- as to how prosecutors charge, and we're going to end the disgusting practice of charge stacking. It means that we're going to be looking at bail and bond reform and the elimination of money bond. We all know that that is one of the reasons, <laughs> is one of the greatest pieces of leverage um, that prosecutors uh, can wield and, and do so unfairly that drives our incarceration rate. We're going to be looking at how and when probation violates people and sends them back to prison, and in particular, ending the practice of probation tails and um, readmissions for technical violations. And then we're going to be looking at retraining prosecutors such that at every step in the process, they're looking as to whether or not they're doing justice in the dispositions that they're arguing for. 
So you mentioned bail reform. Uh, what are your specific plans for that? Yes, my specific plans for that is we're going to end money bail in Maricopa County. If someone presents themselves as a flight risk or a risk to their community, we have a process in place to ask for orders of detention. That already exists. So to set exorbitant money bail as kind of a, you know, a surrogate or a placeholder for actually being able to prove that someone presents an ongoing threat or is dangerous or intends to flee, um, the practice I don't, I don't approve of. Now, we've seen this happen in other jurisdictions as well, the, the elimination of money uh, bail. And so that all of your, I know all of your listeners are already informed as to not just what this means for justice, but what this means for economics. Um, we've seen that people return to court at the same rate, even if they're not held on money bail. And we've also seen a huge savings. This is a real opportunity to cut down the number of persons who spend their nights in our jails. Um, at taxpayer costs as well. So not just, it's not just moral, it's fiscally responsible. And how are you planning to deal with issues like risk assessment? Right. So I think it's so important when we head down the path of risk assessment that we do so in a way that's transparent. And I know that this is something that other jurisdictions have grappled, um, grappled hard with. Right. I think that we need to have a better risk assessment tool one that is more transparent, one that doesn't rely on things like trade secrets or privately held information. Um, and then one that the, at the end of the day, when we're looking at these metrics, we can go back to and say, was this actually worth it? Was this actually predictive of somebody's real and true risk? Right, and that's one of the reasons why I think it's so important that we keep um, that we keep accurate data, transparent data, and uniform um, data as well in this office. That's uh, our current. Our, the ACLU is currently sponsoring a bill that would do just that. And while it might not ever see the light of day in the Arizona legislature, it's something that I am committed to on day one of my administration. Um, do you plan to implement programs like a wrongful convictions unit, uh, a sentence review unit? Yes, again, a day one priority. Um, we've seen it success in Pima County, that's where Tucson is in Arizona. Um, and they've seen the success of using a, they call it a conviction integrity unit, but it serves that same purpose. Um, a, a unit that is empowered um, by the prosecutor to, to look over past convictions, current convictions, irrespective of whether or not the person is, would otherwise be eligible for post-conviction relief or appeal. And we've seen, um, we've seen their success. I think they're particularly successful when there is oversight and especially independent oversight boards. Yeah, and I was going to ask you, because there are really two different types of wrongful convictions unit. There are wrongful convictions unit that are kind of on paper only, and then there, there are ones that actually have teeth. And how are you going to make sure that yours has teeth? Yeah, you know, I think that's where the independent oversight comes in. So one of the big issues that we've had in Maricopa County is we have utterly closed out those who are not law enforcement from any sort of say or stakeholdership in this office. So one of the things that I'm also committed to doing, in addition to, you know, making myself available to the community as I have throughout this campaign, is really creating that um, that board of stakeholders that includes people who haven't traditionally been included, um, community groups, representatives from um, communities of color, representatives from the uh, immigrant community, representatives from the defense bar, 
um, and those who have been directly impacted from incarceration, um, up to and including um, people previously convicted of a felony. I think they all should have a voice in criminal justice here in our office. So it's not just that we'll be you know, creating a unit. You create a unit that has teeth by providing actual real independent oversight by stakeholders. And talk about the issue of police accountability and how that uh, integrates with the work of a prosecutor's office. Right. So a prosecutor's chief mission is to do justice, right? And it is a, it, it is a false dichotomy that we can't both be safe and be accountable. For that reason, it is one of my day one priorities that we uh, create a police accountability unit that is separate and apart from the rest of the Maricopa County Attorney's Office. So as you no doubt know, prosecutors get their cases, refer to them by law enforcement. And the success of this office is determined in part by how successfully one can partnership, uh, create a partnership with law enforcement to you know, do great investigations and, and do good work. So in my view, it really creates um, some potential for compromise when it comes to who ends up looking at these cases. I think it's really important that whomever is responsible for these cases is independent from the rest of the office, is not relying on the same officers day in and day out to prove her case up in court. Um, and to that end actually provides real accountability. Now, the one thing we really haven't talked about on about this issue either is the opportunity that the Maricopa County Attorney's Office has traditionally held when it comes to the bully pulpit, right? This is not just a position that advocates um, as the state in court when it comes to a felony prosecution. This is also someone who's traditionally held an outsized role at our capital um, and within our city governments. And one of the things that, you know, I've been advocating for irrespective of this post is that we need citizens' advisory boards when it comes to uh, police accountability within our cities. When Phoenix is one of the most deadly uh, police forces in the nation, um, there's a real push to provide that same level of accountability on a city level. And I want to lend my voice to that particular reform. And, and what's your view on implementing restorative justice practices? Yes, we need to expand it. This is something that Maricopa County used to do and used to do so well. Um, one of my mentors was uh, Judge Jones, who's kind of famous in our um, legal community. Sadly, he passed away uh, two years ago, and he was a big believer in therapeutic jurisprudence, um, this idea that law is a tool, and it is a tool that can really provide, um, provide redemption and create communities um, where there was, in the past, just brokenness. So um, the tradition in, in Maricopa County, I know we used to have vibrant programs um, back, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, is to bring those practices back to both our felony courtrooms and our juvenile justice system. Um, and if elected, um, obviously you've talked about implementing a lot of stuff on, on your first day, but uh, what's the first <laughs> thing that you're going to do? I'm going to fire Juan Martinez. Wow. We have a prosecutor in our office right now who has been repeatedly disciplined um, internally for sexual harassment. It is my belief that no person should have to endure that at work. It is shameful that uh, at one of our highest justice offices 
in the state of Arizona that we continue to employ someone with such a track record. And I think it's shameful that my Republican opponent hasn't done it already. And is he the only one you're going to fire? I I mean, I've been watching across the country and uh, often when these progressive prosecutors come in, they, they have to start by kind of cleaning house on people that are not going to buy into the reforms. Right. And you know what? I, my plan is to have an open door policy. If you are all on board for criminal justice reform, um, you will always have a place in the Gunnigal administration. Um, there's two areas where I would like to, you know, push back though. Um, first, with respect to progressive prosecutors, I'd, I'd like us to think really carefully as to how we choose to label our reformists. Because when I look at some of the reforms that I'm proposing, taking the incarceration rate down to, you know, it would be the middle of the country, um, being, you know, tough on political crime and financial crime, these aren't necessarily even very progressive ideas. These are bipartisan ideas that most people end up agreeing with, but somehow get tagged as, as progressive. Um, in Arizona, as I'm knocking doors, I'm talking to Republicans, I'm talking to independents. And as I talk to them about what I think criminal justice should look like, they're wholly on board. So I don't think that it's necessarily even progressive to hold this mantle, at least in Arizona, of being on board with criminal justice reform. It's just a matter of finding the right person um, who's able to to implement it. Um, Secondarily, when it comes to staffing, one of the things that I was so inspired by is not, you know, not necessarily the outflux of people from these offices when these inspiring candidates now turned DAs um, get into office, it's the influx of talent that come to them as well that I think is so powerful. How new grads from law school who are inspired to do justice um, flock to public service, as they should, because it is a noble calling to, to be a public servant, right? And I think what's going to end up happening in Maricopa County when I'm elected is I'm going to be, I'm going to see a return of so much of the talent that has fled the office because they don't agree with the regressive policies that people like Bill Montgomery or even Andrew Thomas um, installed. Um, and, and that's very interesting. Um, I'm curious to know about your experience as an assistant state attorney in Cook County, uh, which also has its own uh, unique reputation. <laughs> Right. So I did not have the pleasure of working for Kim Fox. I came in during an earlier administration. But I have nothing but great things to say about the important work that the Cook County State's Attorney's Office did um, as it pertains to financial crime and public corruption. I think they really, and you know, me in particular, we did a great job of shining a light on people who would use public resources for private gain. And we did an even better job pairing with the different law enforcement offices um, and authorities. I'm thinking, you know, cross state, cross country, um, cross the state and federal divide in order to prove those cases. Um, And you know what? It showed me a lot, too, because my history of prosecuting in Cook County was, in fact, very bipartisan. I learned that corruption isn't a Democratic thing. It's not a Republican thing. It's not even an independent thing. It's something that happens when you have unchecked power. So in Cook County, they have a reputation that is well-deserved because there is unchecked power and has been for 100 years. 
Um, in Arizona, we experienced the same thing too. We've had single party control, not just of this office, but of our state legislature uh, for over 60 years. And we're seeing the same sorts of um, corrupt activities that I saw and prosecuted in Cook County. So we found a kind of interesting uh, tweet that you uh, made back in November 2019. Uh, nothing, you know, horrific. Um, it said, because of the inequities in our criminal justice system, we've denied the right to vote to plenty of eligible citizens. We need to make changes just like this one if we're going to fix the system. So can you elaborate on how you would address issues like felony disenfranchisement? Yes. Our right to vote is the fundamental right from which all other rights are born. So when someone loses the right to vote via the commission of a felony, it should be in everyone's interest to restore that and the host of other civil rights that come with being a citizen of our country. Now, how we get to that point is, is kind of twofold. So Arizona's system uh, allows for automatic um, re-enfranchisement uh, upon the disposition and end of probation as to any one of our felony sentences, right? When it comes to second, third, and, you know, and other felonies, it becomes a lot more difficult. This is something where our county attorney can be that active voice down at the Capitol for re-enfranchisement um, and can really use this office as the advocacy post that it should be to make it easier for people to return to civil life in America, which isn't just the right to vote equally or as important as our, our right to serve on a jury as well. Uh, we need to be, make sure that anyone, when they've finished their sentences, achieve, is able to achieve real redemption. I think that's maybe a concept that for a long time we've given up on. That after you, whether it's phrases pay your debt to society or serve your time, that you're welcomed back. This is a real community, and we need to make sure that all of our citizens are represented. So I've asked you a whole bunch of questions on a variety of issues, but perhaps there are some other issues that I haven't brought up. Um, you know, um, I'm hoping uh, you can raise some of those right now. <laughs> Absolutely. Let me tell you about Maricopa County and Arizona laws that pertains to women's reproductive rights. Because I jumped into this race because I wanted to be that prosecutor who would be tough and smart and fair, right? And I built a platform as to what I believe would, would get us to that spot. But as I look at the composition of our Supreme Court, and as I look at my two young daughters who are growing up here, I become increasingly concerned about the fall of Roe v. Wade and what that means for reproductive justice in my state. In Arizona, we never repealed our felony abortion law, nor did we repeal our misdemeanor contraceptive sale, sale statute, meaning that were Roe to fall tomorrow, it would be a felony in Maricopa County for both the woman and her provider. It would also be a misdemeanor to even advertise the sale of contraceptives of any kind meaning that your Maricopa County Attorney's Office becomes the most powerful force in a woman's reproductive life if that were to happen. So it's one of the issues that we've really been messaging about this race is that there's, there's implications above and beyond 
of criminal justice reform and the criminal law that everybody needs to pay attention to because it goes right to the heart of who we are as Arizonans and what we believe. Wow, that's uh, interesting. Is it even constitutional um, on the contraceptives? You know, it was a uh, pre-Griswold law that was put into place. So yes, it it begs all sorts of constitutional questions um, as to uh, free speech, commercial speech, uh, privacy issues. But it becomes potentially enforceable on the day Roe falls because, as you know, that's the that's the seminal law that created this right to privacy that protects us from the enforcement of statutes like these. Very interesting. All right. Any other thoughts before we wrap up? Well, I just wanted to inform your listenership of how they can find out more information about me. My website is gunnagle2020. That's G-U-N-N-I-G-L-E 2020.com. They can find me on Twitter at Julie Gunnigal or at Facebook at Gunnigal 2020. And I would be so delighted to interact with anyone who has uh, questions. I know I've taken a lot of your time, but these are issues that really deserve not just a half an hour, but a half a week's worth of discussion um, at the very least. Absolutely. Well, I thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come on our podcast. I was delighted to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Julie Gunnigal, uh, who is running for county attorney in Maricopa County. And yes, that's the county in Arizona that used to be home of Sheriff Joe and uh, has some very interesting criminal justice uh, issues. And she is fighting to reform those issues. Uh, This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next time for another show. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mouse Quake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.